We've sung God's praises. We've prayed to our great God about his deeds and acts that have made us praise him. Let us again go to prayer. You may be seated. Please bow with me in prayer. God, as that song triumphantly shouts, we will not be shaken. But Lord, we know that there is nothing in ourselves that makes us unshakable. Lord, it is only by the object of our faith that we are found unshakable. So Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ. We praise you that indeed, through, all, through Jesus, all things are possible. Lord, and even the most impossible thing, like dead hearts being raised back to life, is made possible by Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask that we would be reminded of that. We pray that we would know that deeply as a church body. And, Father, we pray that we would remind each other of that very truth. Father, we pray that through our discipleship to one another, through our prayers, through our love for one another, that we would be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. It is indeed by his great name that we are found to not be shaken. So, Lord, we pray that in the times that we feel where the waves are crashing over us, when in the times that we feel that darkness has overcome, that we would go to the rock that is higher than us and that we would fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, help us in our need to know that Jesus is the one who makes us unshaken. What a great victory we have in Jesus. Father, help us to remember that in this church especially. And Father, we don't just pray for our own church, but from time to time we pray for other churches uh, within our community and throughout the nation. And Lord, we just want to give thanks for Desert Springs Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Father, we're so thankful that just this last weekend, the students of South Canyon Baptist Church got to go to camp with the students of Desert Springs Church. Father, we thank you that there are other like-minded churches throughout the nation that preach your word and want to see the name of Jesus high and lifted up. So, Father, we pray for their pastor, Ryan Kelly, this morning. We pray that he would preach the word with truth and with boldness and that, Lord, you would use him to be an instrument for you, that you might use the preaching of the word this morning through Ryan to save people. And Lord, we pray that the members of Desert Springs would be a light to the community in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Father, we're so thankful for them and for their partnership in the gospel and especially for their partnership to the students. Father, we pray that uh, through our efforts this last weekend that we may even see fruit from this camp that we had with them. And Father, we pray that for the students that may have not known you as Lord and Savior, that they would respond in faith and repentance. And Lord, we pray for those students who do know you, that they would walk further in faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, and that you might use this time in their life to strengthen them, to prepare them, Lord, to walk with you all the days of their life. Father, use that time, use this camp in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, we not only pray for ourselves, but we pray for other institutions and even other countries from time to time here at this church. So Father, this morning we want to pray for the schools in Rapid City. Father, we realize that school is wrapping up and coming to an end. And so whether uh, kids are homeschooled or private schooled or public schooled, Lord, we are so thankful for all the options that we have here in Rapid City. Father, we thank you for all the teachers that have worked so laboriously for these students. 
Father, we pray that you would give them good rest this summer, that they may even be energized and recharged to think about how they can better educate these students in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, I pray for the administration of these schools, whether it's homeschool, public school, or private school, that they would think about what is good and what is right for those students. And Father, we pray that they would take the leadership that you have given them in a way that honors and glorifies you. And Father, give them wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong to teach. Father, we thank you for the school board, and we pray for them and pray that as they make decisions about contracts and all other various things within the school district, we pray that you would be with them and they would make good and right decisions for the people of South Dakota and for the people of Rapid City and especially for the students of Rapid City as well. God, we're so thankful for the ability to learn and to learn truth. And so, Father, we pray that the truth that would be learned would be your truth and that ultimately, God, that the truth that is being taught in the schools would ultimately lead the students to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, we pray that you might even use uh, all these various forms of schools to lead uh, students to Christ. God, we do come back to ourselves this morning. We just pray for Pastor Joel this morning. God, we are so thankful for him, and we pray, Lord, that as he comes up here to give us your word, Father, that we would see Jesus Christ this morning. Father, till the soil of our hearts so that we may know you with confidence and that we may cherish you as our loving and dear Savior. Father, we pray for Joel that he would have strength to preach your word, to preach it accurately, to preach it clearly. And Lord, we also pray that he would have the authority that only comes from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would indwell Joel in this very hour in a way that would be like the prophet of old who spoke to the dry bones and that they were made alive. Father, use Joel in that way this morning. Would you save people that are not saved through the preaching of your word this morning and equip and strengthen the saints of this church through Pastor Joel this morning? God, we desire to see Jesus. Give us Jesus this morning, and we ask that you would do that through our brother. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I had the opportunity recently to reread uh, one of my favorite books growing up, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was actually with, with the other pastors and with the, the TPA students, the Timothy Pastoral Apprenticeship students. We read through, read through that together. And, you know, one of the most memorable things about that book is the character arc of the, of the boy Edmund, uh, this, this young boy who, who betrays his own, his own siblings, his own family. He throws in his lot with the evil uh, white witch and only can be saved through the lion Aslan, who is, who is the Christ figure and who has to die in this traitor's place. And yet, by the end of the book, it's Edmund who has the presence of mind and the courage to destroy the evil which is one and to turn the tide of the battle between good and evil. And so this, this boy who starts out really as the, the lowest, the most unlovable and despicable of characters ends up a hero and really along with his sister Lucy is probably one of the most beloved characters in the whole Narnia series. You know, I think we love these kinds of stories of reversal 
like Edmund, who is the least likely candidate, the, this kind of pathetic and spiteful child who's transformed into a noble warrior prince. You know, we have our tales of the ugly duckling transformed into the beautiful swan, or the wimpy kid who was bullied and ends up as the star quarterback. All of us root for the, the steadfast tortoise in Aesop's fable who, who teaches this overconfident hare uh, a lesson. But I don't think it's merely because underdog stories are, are fun or entertaining or, or just satisfying. I think that it's actually something God has, has hardwired into the fabric of this world he has made. Throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, we see that God takes the lowly, God takes the poor, the rejected, the nobodies, the ones who recognize their need and look to him, the humble, and he exalts them. Meanwhile, the proud and the haughty, the wicked, the oppressor, is brought low and put to shame. And so, as we, as we move into our, our, uh, our text this morning, our, our, the psalm that we're going to be looking at, what I hope you'll consider with me is this. If God is in the business of making these kinds of reversals happen, then it's worth, it's worth asking, what do I have to do? What would it take to get God to do that for me? So in this morning's sermon text, we're looking at a song, a psalm that was composed really as a prayer to God. And it's coming from really an underdog who desperately needs a reversal of his situation. We are um, currently in the second week of our our new summer series through the Psalms. We began last Sunday in Psalm 56, and we're going to, Lord willing, go all the way through uh, Psalm 69 over the course of this summer. Now, last week, Psalm 56 was a psalm of David, um, and this was at a time when he was seized in hostile territory by the Philistines in Gath, and David had fled to Gath in the first place because he was fleeing Saul, the king of Israel, his own uh, kinsman, who was seeking to kill him because God's prophet had anointed David to be the new king, and so, of course, Saul, the rejected king, wasn't going to take this lying down. And so in the midst of all of this fear and danger, again, last week in Psalm 56, David, out of that fear, out of that danger, he declared his faith. His faith in God's word, his faith in the the promises and the character of God that is revealed in his word. Now this morning in Psalm 57, it's kind of a continuation of sorts. It's another psalm of David. It's a psalm of lament. Uh, In this case, it would be an, an individual lament coming from just this one person. It's a song in which David expresses struggle and suffering to the Lord. And yet there's also a great trust and faith and also praise and worship. Now, these kinds of psalms of lament um, can really be of immense value and immense benefit for us when we go through difficult seasons of disappointment and grief or suffering because they help us to put our own feelings, our own concerns into words and help us, even in the midst of sorrow, 
to be able to praise and to be able to pray in a biblical way. Now, just a, a little bit um, at the at the top of this psalm, there's a title, uh, which if you uh, if you want to look up this psalm that we're going to be going through, Psalm 57, and in the title at the top of this psalm, it reads, "To the choir master, according to, do not destroy." a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So just to set the stage a little bit, first of all, do not destroy. We don't truly know um, what that means, but it, it may be the tune or pattern, kind of musical pattern used on the song. And the title itself could be a reference to Deuteronomy 9.26. This was a, a prayer uh, that Moses had prayed and, and specifically, he said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness. So again, in fitting with this psalm we're going to be looking at, just this theme of trusting in God, seeking for his protection, his faithfulness, um, even though, uh, as, as was prayed earlier, God's people can be unfaithful and stubborn and yet asking for his, his blessing and his mercy. Now, this psalm, most importantly, as it's, as it's described here in this title, it's, it's inspired by or based on uh, an event in the life of David when he was in a cave fleeing from Saul. And this is most likely what's described in 1 Samuel 22. There's, David's in a cave in 1 Samuel 22 and 24, and if you want to look those up later, um, feel free. But most likely, 1 Samuel 22, this is when David is in the cave of Adullam, and it's, it's immediately after his time in Gath, which is what uh, Psalm 56 was about. Uh, and so in the middle of all this persecution, David is being treated. He was really Saul's right-hand man, kind of his lieutenant, going out, conquering um, the enemies of God's people. And yet he's being treated like an enemy of the state. He's being hunted down like an animal. And he's in fear, even for the safety of his, his entire family, his parents and his brothers, and so in the midst of all that, we read this prayer, this prayer set to music, this reflection uh, from the King David. So let me read Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, this psalm is David's 
declaration of faith in the midst of the trial. It's his proclamation of praise in the midst of his trouble. And, and as we see at the end there, it's his call for really the whole earth to worship the God of Israel. You know, it's very much like the words that we, we sang together just a few minutes ago. This we know, we will see the enemy run. This we know, we will see the victory come. We hold on to every promise you ever made. Jesus, you are unfailing. Now, if I was to give kind of a summary of the main idea of this psalm, the exhortation that it gives to us, the message I believe it has for us, uh, I, would, I would summarize it like this, uh, and we'll put this up on the screen, but it would be, Praise the God who hears our cry for mercy, brings reversal to our plight, and displays his glory among all peoples. I'll just read that one more time. Praise the God who hears our cry for mercy, brings reversal to our plight, and displays his glory among all peoples. And this main idea, uh, this main thought really forms our outline today. And so, first of all, uh, the beginning of that is praise the God who hears our cry for mercy. In these opening verses, verses 1 through 5, David is making an impassioned plea for God's mercy, even as he's caught in the midst of a storm, surrounded by all these fierce enemies. So just listen again to the, those first opening verses and notice just the severity of David's need, but also the persistence of his faith. So just beginning in verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out, to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's kind of the first, verse 5 there is that first occurrence of this little chorus, this refrain, uh, calling for God to be exalted. And this comes in the midst of, of the lions and the fiery beasts, the enemies. It's before anything has changed. All David has is his faith uh, in the God that he's crying out to. Really, the first thing that stands out is that David is looking to God for mercy. Uh, be merciful to me, he says in the opening words. This is the same Hebrew word that was actually used in Psalm 56. And Psalm 56 uh, began, be gracious to me. But David is asking God for unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. You know, God had, had chosen David. He had, he had given David this promise that he would be the king in place of the disobedient King Saul. So God set his, his loyal covenant love on David, who was really the youngest and the smallest of Jesse's sons. So David is not here demanding his rights. He's not entitled, but he cries to God in great need, even desperation, but he cries out in humility, asking for God's grace and mercy. 
Because it's the humble and lowly that God loves to help. It's on them that he delights to lavish his kindness. He's the God who it says in Psalm 113, the God who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. And so anyone who cries out to this God needs to approach him just like the the tax collector in Luke 18, the man who, who cried out. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is true for David, and it's true for us. We, we can and we should cry out to God in all of our trouble, our pain, and our grief. He wants, he wants his children to bring all those things before him. He wants us to come to him for shelter, but we come seeking his mercy and humbly bringing our sorrows to his throne, knowing that he hears and knowing that he cares. But not only does David come at the beginning of this psalm seeking mercy, he comes to God for refuge, which of course is interesting in light of of the title and the context of this psalm. You know, David found some temporary shelter uh, and some, some protection in the massive stone walls of a cave. And yet, his trust is not ultimately in in any natural or in any man-made fortifications. He flees for safety to the shelter of God's wings. And I have to think that, that David knew the words that had been spoken by his, his great-grandfather Boaz to Ruth the Moabite, who was David's great-grandmother. In Ruth 2.12, Boaz spoke to Ruth and said, A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, and one day, over, over a thousand years after David lived, Jesus Christ, the son of David, would come and lament over the city of David, over Jerusalem, and would speak of his desire to gather its people together as a hen gathers her brood of chicks under her wings. And so David, this great warrior, the the, the rightful king, is not is not proud, is not too tough to ask to come under the shelter of God's wings. Just like his great-grandmother, a destitute foreigner, a vulnerable young widow in need of protection, just like a baby chick running to its mother hen. David seeks the living shelter that comes from God alone. But note also just the, the sheer persistence and confidence of David's faith in verse 2, where he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David is sure God will fulfill his purpose for him, the promises that he made to him. And specifically, he trusts that God will send directly from heaven to save him, it says in verse 3, putting his enemies to shame. All these, these enemies who are described as lions and fiery beasts and men who who wound and pierce with their words as well. But David's ultimate hope that we see there in verse 3, 
God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. That is his ultimate hope. Now, this word for, for steadfast love here, um, the word hesed, which is found throughout Hebrew scripture, it's a word that God uses many, many times to describe his loyal, his committed covenant love for his people. Just like we were singing a few moments ago, his unfailing love. And it's usually paired together, as it is here, with God's faithfulness. And so, for instance, in Genesis 32:10, we find Jacob praying to the God of his fathers and saying, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. And perhaps the most famous incident, the most famous account is when God, in Exodus 34, 6, when he passes by Moses and, and shows his goodness and proclaims his name, and he says to Moses, revealing his, his name, Yahweh, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and yet what's kind of the capstone of this? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And even the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, uh, again, a, a, beloved, a beloved verse, and yet it comes out of the context of just unimaginable grief and suffering. But Jeremiah calls to mind the steadfast love, the loyal covenant love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Again, God's steadfast love and faithfulness. This is David's great hope. And it is our great hope as well because of Jesus Christ, David's greater son, the one that this psalm ultimately points us to. You see, like David, Jesus Christ, he trusted perfectly in God's purpose for him, and he put his hope in the Father's steadfast love. But Jesus did not remain safe beneath the shelter of God's wings. No, he weathered the storms of destruction, so that we might have refuge. And on the cross, he did not call for salvation to come down from heaven, even though he could have called for legions of angels to come and rescue him. And in, but instead, he was put to shame for us. And he endured all the wounds and the abuse and the mocking of his enemies so that we might be healed and delivered from evil for all eternity. So David had a confident hope in his deliverance. He believed God would send his steadfast love and faithfulness. But Jesus, the son of David, was the ultimate fulfillment of that hope. God sent from heaven his steadfast love and faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of David's hope. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God, the embodiment of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, his covenant love. And so, Christian brothers, sisters, take heart. This, this is the God that we worship this morning. This is the Savior that we have. 
I know sometimes it's a struggle to cling to faith, to continue to hope. Uh, There are so many in this church family who are experiencing trouble, severe health problems, family members who have maybe rejected and wounded you. Some are walking through the valley, as it were, suffering overwhelming anxiety, engulfing depression, dark nights that seem devoid of even a sliver of light. Sometimes God feels distant, sometimes because of the ways other people have, have wounded you, it's, it's almost impossible to feel safe. Sometimes it feels as if your entire life is falling apart. But this psalm tells us that, that God hears your cries. He sees you. He is there. Because of what Jesus did for you, God's loyal love, his covenant commitment to you cannot be broken. It is permanent and unchanging. And he will save you. He will deliver you, even though it may not unfold unfold according to your timetable. We know that in the end we will be fully saved from all sin and evil, from all pain and suffering, from all of our tears and trials. And even in the meantime, as we heard last Sunday, God bottles up those tears and he, he sees them and he keeps, uh, keeps track of them. And not only that, but God's steadfast love means that he will, he will deliver and he will save, but also he will make things right and bring justice you know, he did that for David, catching his enemies in their own trap and turning the tables on them. And so we can count on the steadfast love and faithfulness of our Savior. And like David, we can praise God even in the midst of trouble, even before the full and the final deliverance comes. As I noted before, in verse 5, David praises the God who hears his cry for mercy. He wants God to be exalted. He wants his glory to be seen and loved by others. And so, like David, we can praise during trials. We can worship even through tears. But the second point is that we should not only praise the God who hears our cry for mercy, but we should praise the God who brings reversal to our plight. David has has declared his faith in God. He's trusted in the one who hears his cry of mercy, the one who will be his refuge and salvation. He praises even before the rescue comes. But then as we read in verse 6, the time comes when God does bring about a reversal for David. So just briefly, let's look at verse 6 again. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way but they have fallen into it themselves. David describes a hopeless situation. You know, the trap has been set. His spirit is low. He's at the end of himself. And yet, his enemies fall into the trap they set for him. This is, this is the, an occasion of, of irony. This is poetic justice. It's, it's the triumph 
of the underdog that we, uh, that we love so much to see, like, like Cinderella at the ball as her, her stepmother and stepsisters look on helplessly as she, she dazzles the room in her ball gown and slippers. Verse 6 is the great reversal for David. And as I said before, we love these kinds of stories. We all, I believe, long to see this happen in our own lives. So friend, do you long for your own great reversal? Do you wish for your your life to be turned around, for the failures to be turned into triumph, for the the pain to be transformed into joy, for the, the humiliation to be transformed into beauty. The good news of Jesus Christ is that there is a great reversal offered to each and every person who's willing to receive it. Because the the ultimate reversal in all of human history was when Jesus, through his death, conquered death, sin, and Satan for us. You see, each and every one of us has fallen short of God's holy character. Each and every one of us has sinned against one another, but worst of all, we've committed treason against the God who created us and who created all things, the one who deserves our absolute allegiance. All of us are guilty of forsaking the one true, holy, and perfect God and pursuing all manner of substitutes and fakes. And yet God, in his mercy, sent a Savior from heaven who would succeed where we all failed. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He was the embodiment of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. This Son who obeyed and glorified the Father perfectly and who took the punishment and judgment we deserved dying on a cross in our place. And so by his death, all who put their trust in him Their faith in him have complete forgiveness and reconciliation and the promise of eternal life. You see, on the cross, Jesus accomplished the reversal that all humanity has always longed for because he rose from the dead demonstrating that he had been victorious over sin and over death and over Satan. All of our enemies were vanquished. The tables were were turned. And Jesus will return to finally and fully save his people and to judge the wicked. He will establish his perfect heavenly righteous kingdom on a new earth where there will be perfect justice and righteousness, no more death or pain or tears. And through Jesus, everything sad will come untrue. All that is wrong will be made right again. And all that's needed is to turn from sin and to put your faith in him. If you've never heard this gospel message before, or if you've just never fully embraced it and put your whole trust in Jesus Christ, I would urge you to do that even right now in this moment. Just turn to him and embrace who he is and what he has done for you. 
And then please talk to me afterwards or talk to another one of the pastors or the elders or maybe the person who brought you here. We would love just to talk with you more about what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus. But this psalm really clearly teaches us about the great and the merciful God who brings reversal to our helpless plight. And then third and finally, this psalm calls us to praise the God who displays his glory among the peoples, among all peoples. Let's just look back at Psalm, uh, verse 7 in the conclusion real quickly. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know, it's striking to see how David is just firmly committed to praising God. His heart is steadfast. And he wants to, to sing and play musical instruments so enthusiastically, so loudly, that he will awake the dawn. But it's not merely a commitment to praising God privately, or even to praising God among the people of Israel, but among the peoples and nations of the earth. And he draws, if you notice in verse 10, he draws attention, special attention again, to God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And he says they're more expansive than we could ever have imagined, extending up to the heavens. And then in verse 11, we see this repeated chorus, this refrain that he first introduced back in verse 5. But see, before it was a declaration of praise in the midst of trouble. And here it's a declaration of praise in light of God's deliverance. David, he experienced his reversal in verse 6. He trusted God to deliver him, and God has delivered him. And so in light of that, David wants to praise God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And he wants it to be known and enjoyed and delighted in globally. You know, as Christians, we've experienced an even greater reversal and deliverance through Jesus Christ. And so we likewise are to praise him in light of what he has done. God intends to display his glory, not only to David, not only to Israel, or even to you and to me, but to all peoples, all nations and tribes and languages. And so here's the, the incredible and humbling reality. It's that, that God's plan for his steadfast love and faithfulness to be proclaimed to the nations is us, the redeemed people he commissioned. You know, and this is most clearly portrayed in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, when Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, in light of God's work, in light of God's deliverance, David was committed to declaring his praise among the nations. How much more should we, who have seen God's 
God's greater work at the cross and who have received a commission from our Lord and Savior, how much more should we be committed to declaring his praise, speaking of what we've seen, teaching to others the beauty and glory of God as it's displayed in the face of Jesus Christ? Now, I know this can be an intimidating task sometimes to consider, and it is both urgent and also daunting. And yet, even as we saw there in Matthew 28, Jesus has told us that he will be with us as we go. And I think it's also important that we remember, you know, we may not be a great king or a songwriter or musician like David, or we may not be an apostle or a church planter like Paul. I think sometimes we feel pressure to measure up to the standard of of someone like Paul in the New Testament, you know, (laughs) making a speech to an angry mob of pagans who are hostile, or or arguing and debating with the great thinkers and philosophers on Mars Hill. But you know what? For most of us, we are ordinary people, but we we can aspire to be Like the man in Mark 5.19, the demon-possessed man, the one that Jesus healed. And then Jesus told him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. If we can simply explain that God is a merciful God who shows steadfast love, unfailing love, who hears our cries. If we can share with someone else how how God turned our life around and brought about reversal when our plight was hopeless, then we can be used by him to display his glory to the peoples and the nations of the world because he is God most high. He will do it. We simply get the the privilege, the blessing to be a part of, Of what he is doing, but his purpose will not fail, and the knowledge of his glory will fill the whole earth as the water covers the sea. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, again for your word. Thank you for how it reveals who you are and what you have done. It reveals your character, it reveals your your great promises, and as we know and as we have seen through Jesus Christ, you have kept those promises, you have fulfilled those promises, and all all that is left for us is to come to Christ and to, to trust and follow him, to be found in him, to be brought into his kingdom, his family. We thank you for doing that. We pray for any of those who who have not yet made that step, that you would just continue to draw them, that they would respond, they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. We just pray you would apply your word to our hearts and help us Uh, to walk in the light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.